Next melody, LMHC, legal name Nicholas Moran, pronouns they, them, their, and fey, fair, fairs, is a queer, non-binary, trans-femme, and pan-romantic New York State psychotherapist, clinical supervisor, and anti-oppressant LGBTQIA consultant. Fay also teaches at NYU and Columbia University. They're passionate about working with individuals, couples, and groups who are struggling with various issues, including but not limited to trauma and abuse, gender and sexual identity, anxiety, depression, substance use, acculturation, racial identity, exploration, and dismantling internalized inferiority and or superiority. Nix graduated from the Point Park University with a bachelor's degree in psychology, where Faye completed a research study regarding the ongoing coming out process for queer men. They completed a dual master's degree, master's of the arts in psychological counseling and a master's of education in mental health counseling from Teachers College, Columbia University where Faye took extensive coursework and engaged in research initiatives surrounding queer and gender-expansive microaggressions or mental health concerns. Nix has extensive experience working with queer and straight clients, couples, and groups surrounding exploring sexuality, gender, kinks, consensual non-monogamy, and polyamory. They also have experience providing clinical documentation in support for gender-affirming care for transgender and gender-expansive individuals. Listening, validation, curiosity, challenging, and accountability are important features of Nix's approach to their work with FAIR clients. Through consultation, Nix seeks to amplify the messages and teaching of queer folk, TGNC folk, and the BIPOC community to create affirming practices and policies. As a supervisor, Faye aims to assist their supervisees and colleagues with developing culturally responsive approaches to therapy and increased competencies for working with queer and gender-variant clients. This was honestly an incredibly eye-opening, insightful, and humbling podcast to record. I was so honored to have Nix on the show, so please join me in welcoming Nix to the show. Tonight, I have the great honor of being joined by Nix Melody, a queer and non-binary licensed psychotherapist, clinical supervisor, and anti-oppression LGBTQIPA2S plus consultant. Nick's pronouns are they, them, theirs, and fey, fair, fairs. Nix, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you. May you please say hello to our audience? Hello, thanks for having me, Laura, and I'm so excited to be here. Likewise, I'm so excited to have you. I am so excited for this conversation. I've honestly been looking forward to it for quite some time now. I think it will be really fun and informative and eye-opening for our listeners. So I would love to get started by you sharing as much or as little as you're comfortable with of your own story and what got you interested in this space and becoming a psychotherapist. Absolutely. Well, I definitely want to keep space for more exciting conversations than just my history. But um, my road to becoming a therapist um, was kind of surprising to me. I've certainly always been that friend that everyone came to for advice or just a listening ear. And I think that that comes from just like an intuitive sense of empathy that I've always just had. i called it my superpower for as long as I could, Um, like remember really. Um, But I always wanted to be a singer. I always wanted to be a dancer and a performer. And that truly was what I thought I was going to do with my life. And when I got to college, I started realizing that it's a passion that I have, but perhaps not one that I wanted to monopolize on. And I think a lot of that came from realizing the toxicity of like the performance space, where so often people are just pitted against one another in that competitive atmosphere of who's going to get to the top. And I just sort of had this realization, waking up every morning, going to like ballet classes and going to acting classes and having my vocal courses as well, that perhaps this isn't something that I want to do forever. 
And the only things that I could sort of think of maybe doing instead was writing because I always enjoyed writing stories or tapping into that empath ability that I've always had. And the only thing I could think that would suit that was psychology and like becoming a therapist. So I had this semester where I was undeclared as an un, uh, as an undergrad when I let go of the theater major and the dance minor. And I was like, all right, let me take a psych class. Let me take a writing class and let's just see which one feels right. Um, and I loved the writing class, but there was also something about the way that folks gave feedback and it also felt a little bit cutthroat. And I was like, well, I'm still trying to get away from that. And I wasn't getting that experience at all from my psychology courses. And I'm a first generation college student. So no one in my immediate family had ever been to college before. And so I don't know what I originally thought, but I thought I would just graduate. And then with time, you're just a therapist mm -hmm. and was rudely awakened um, during the end of my junior year, going into senior year when my advisor was like, what do you want to do with your degree? And I was like, I'm going to be a therapist. And they were like, okay, so have you looked at grad schools? And I was like, <laughs> what's that? Um, I don't know what I thought or how I thought they got their doctoral degrees. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't even really know. I never thought to think of it. You know, when you're like 18, 19, 20, you're just like partying, living your life, completing your assignments. Um, <laughs> I did not ever think to question what's grad school, what's a graduate degree. And so I really was like, oh, I have no idea. So let me just like scramble real quick and send applications out. And I was applying to different programs. Some of them weren't even clinical in nature, mm -hmm. but I didn't even know what to ask yeah. or look for at the time. And when I got the acceptance letter from Columbia for their master's in counseling program, I just was like, I always wanted to live in New York City. Columbia sounds cool. I guess mm -hmm. I'm just going to pack it up and go there. And I guess the rest is history. And here I am as a therapist doing some of those things. Wow, that's so amazing. I'm so, I truly believe in divine timing because that's, first of all, incredible school to be accepted in and go to. And I feel like you were not lucky because you did the hard work, but that it just, the therapy clinical program was the route that you went because so often students, they want, they have goals and, and things they want to achieve, but no one sits them down and tells them the practical steps to get there. So we're scrambling and then we figure out when it's not, you know, no education's ever wasted, but when you hold a master's degree in something, but you wanted a different outcome. So I'm really happy that it all worked out for you. And it sounds like you really love what you're doing and are helping so many people. Absolutely. I love every aspect of my job. Um, as a therapist, I get to work with individuals. I do relational counseling. I host groups. So I get to do a little bit of all of it when it yeah. comes to counseling. And then because I'm just, I get bored in nature mm -hmm. and I like flexibility. So being a private practitioner and having my own business, I'm also able to mix it up by like offering clinical supervision for folks who want um, more expertise or more tailored training in the realms of like sexuality and gender. And I also do some teaching on the side at NYU and Columbia. Um, I write some articles here and there just for fun. And I also like really enjoy doing presentations of that nature. Um, for anyone who needs them and it doesn't even have to be clinically oriented if it's a business who's like oh we just don't even know like where to get started yeah. with being more affirming of gender expansive people or our queer staff i'm there to sort of like give them the basics or help them kind of revise their policies and procedures to make sure that things are more inclusive for people Oh, that's amazing that you have all these different routes that you can go. And I'm so happy. I love seeing intuitive, empathic people in the mental health space because we for sure need more of that. People going into it for the right reasons. Absolutely.
Yeah. So I, I'm so impressed with your history and the work that you are doing. And I was hoping, as I was mentioning with you earlier, I really want to take this from a beginner's standpoint, um, because to the lay person, all the terms, it could be overwhelming. I tell uh, people tell me I'm often intimidated. I don't want to say the wrong thing or offend someone. So for people that hold this as a safe place and are really wanting to learn more. I would love to have a like a dummy's guide to gender and sexuality and and all things queerness, you know, of course dummies, I say that in a kind way. So, I would love to get started Absolutely. by you explaining for someone that's never heard of LGBTQIPA2S+, what does that mean? Great question. You know, when it comes to all of these terms, there's a lot to learn, right? Mm -hmm. um, and each of those letters actually stands for something. So the L is lesbian, the G is gay, the B is bisexual, the T actually stands for trans or transgender. Um, the Q actually could stand for two things. It could stand for queer or it could stand for someone who is questioning an aspect of their gender or sexuality totally valid one. The I stands for intersex. The P is pansexual. The A uh, pertains to asexual or just the entire ace community, ACE for short. 2S refers to the term two-spirit, which is actually um, meant for folks who are native or have indigenous uh, backgrounds, first nation people. And it could relate to gender, sexuality, or spiritual identity. And that plus sign is really just to indicate that there are so many other ever evolving identities that we're still learning about, that are still coming to fruition. Um, and those are what those letters stand for. Thank you so much for explaining that. I know several years ago, I believe I heard it start out as LGBT. And then thankfully, it's become more inclusive and affirming and expansive as the years has gone by. So that's super interesting and very, um, it makes my heart happy to hear that. My second and I have question, a little fun fact for you ooh, here. Please share. Yes, please. So actually, many years ago, it always started with the G, gay. Um, so if you look at old literature um, in like psychology and other um, sectors as well, you'll see GLBT. But after the AIDS pandemic, they switched the order and put the L first because when so many gay men were dying of HIV and AIDS, the only people who were really coming to their rescue were lesbian women. Um, they were coming in swarms, uh, helping gay men in, in a time of crisis. Um, and so kind of as like a thank you, they ended up switching the letters. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. I never knew that. That's amazing. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Of course. Awesome. So you did mention the HIV and AIDS can you talk about, I wasn't planning on touching on this, but I think when people hear that, they immediately get taken back in fear. What are some common myths and misconceptions surrounding HIV and AIDS that we can kind of debunk? Yeah, I mean, so many folks still call it the gay disease, and it's not, right? I mean, uh, HIV impacts people regardless of their gender, regardless of their sexuality. Um, and what's really unfortunate is folks in, like, really rural areas um, at times still are really conditioned to believe that if they're gay, they will ultimately contract HIV. Mm. Um, and... What's really unfortunate is in some areas, because people truly believe that it's inevitable if you're queer that you will contract this disease, some folks actually like actively seek to be infected. There are times where it's like infection parties where folks are sort of just let me get this over with um, because it's inevitable anyway. Um, and it's really terrible and awful that that's the case and that people still believe that, one, you will get it if you are queer, and two, that you'll die because of it. 
Um, I know so many healthy people who have contracted HIV, who live very normal lives, taking medications daily, um, who live very long, very fulfilling lives, and many queer people who never contract HIV. Mm -hmm. um, I myself have never contracted it, um, at least not to this point in time. And so, one of the things that I always like to let people know is that like, you're not going to get it from like kissing someone. You're not going to get it from sharing a drink. Someone sneezing or coughing on you who's queer is not going to give you HIV. It's really through the exchange of bodily fluids like semen um, or like what is secreted from a person and also through blood. So sometimes what actually ends up happening is that there's a rise in HIV and HIV cases and IV drug users because you if you're not changing the needle if you're not sure of like who you are sharing needles with it's a very quick and easy way to contract HIV um, and so for anyone who's using IV drugs I just encourage them to be really conscious of new needles and not sharing them and um if you are in new york city there are safe spaces where folks can actually go and um, engage in iv drug use and like a safe mm -hmm. moderated environment uh, many folks have mixed opinions about that um, and at these places they will give you fresh sharps they will take your stuff they will dispose of it for you um, there's no judgments and of course if someone ODs, there's medical professionals there who are ready and able to administer things like Narcan to make them make sure that they don't pass, right? And so certainly folks are welcome to have any opinions that they have about substance <laughs> use. But one of the things that I really like is that it's a safe space for folks to engage in IV drug use and also ensure that there's medical professionals there to uh, take care of them if something bad happens and to ensure that there's not as much infection um, really spreading, um, which can happen when folks are doing it more dangerously or don't have access to those fresh sharks. So I just think it's important for folks to know that safe sex practices are important for everyone and there are medications out there that are accessible to straight cisgender people as well as the entire queer community uh, to prevent um the exposure and prevent the transmission so prep p-r-e-p p-r-e-p yes um pre-exposure prophylactics is something that folks can take on a daily basis if you're engaged in any sort of sexual um, activity, whether you're straight or queer. I recommend talking to your doctor about taking PrEP. Um, it doesn't cause any problems for you. There's no like crazy side effects. You just take the medication and something that can certainly protect anyone engaged in sex um, from being exposed and if they are the medication when you take it daily helps to really like break that down so that it doesn't stick in your bloodstream. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, I I am very pro. Um, I My friend who works at a homeless shelter was telling me about the places in the city and I'm so happy that they have that personally. I feel like everyone deserves safety and I would rather people be safe than unsafe personally, but also you mentioned so many good points and I want people to know that having an STD or an STI does not make you dirty. It doesn't make you invalid. It is quite normal and more often than not, most of us will contract or get one of these because if we are sexually active, it, it's a con not a consequence, but it could be a result of that. I had HPV and I'm not ashamed to say it. And I think unfortunately there's so much shame and stigma that comes along with it. So. Thank you for yes, sharing. Yes, you're so right. Um, and you're so right. It does not make a person dirty. Um, that's definitely uh, dated language. Uh, so often in the queer community, people will still to this day ask, are you clean or are you dirty? Mm -hmm. um, and it's always in reference to HIV. And I think it's just absolutely appalling to sort of ask a question of that nature because truly and honestly the safest person to have sex with is someone who has hiv and is undetectable and untransmittable on their constant medications because they can't um 
expose you to it. It just will not happen. Um, and so truly a person who is HIV positive and undetectable and untransmittable is safer than someone who says I got tested three months ago because who knows what happened in these like three months since mm-hmm. that last test. Um, so I would like to let folks know that too. Yes, that's a really great point. I want to ask you if someone is hearing this for the first time regarding uh, being queer, can you explain what that means, what it means to be queer, uh, the term non-binary and cisgender? Absolutely. So queer, in the way that others define it, I'll use the general definition, then I'll give my definition, which kind of differs. And so queer for those who are kind of utilizing it nowadays, it's an umbrella term for anyone who just says that they're not straight. Um, So if you engage in any sort of practices that are non-normative, you're welcome to use the term queer. And historically, it was a derogatory term used, Mm -hmm. uh, like, against our community. Um, But younger generations, myself included, have really reclaimed the word. It's like saying, you can't hurt me with this word any longer. But when I define queerness, I call it the radical rejection of the assumed and perceived normality in the world. For me, queerness is a space of becoming. It's a livelihood, a way of engaging. And it's actually something that I believe is accessible for everyone and isn't necessarily pertaining to our sexuality or even our gender, I think that queerness is just a way of life that embodies liberation, that's all about acceptance, that's written in creativity and playfulness and really includes endless possibilities outside of that that norm that we've all been force fed. And so that's how I conceptualize queerness. That's such a juicy definition. I love it. I love that so much. I actually went to Cherry Grove. It's a queer beach out in Fire Island. I live on Long Island. And I have to tell you, Nix, it was the best day. One of the best days of my life. By far the funnest day of the summer I had last year. It was honestly incredible. Queer spaces tend to be so liberatory if folks go to like Jacob Reese or Asbury Park, some of these like queer beach spaces in and around the metropolitan area. Um, you'll often find folks topless, you'll find them really embracing their bodies, you'll see a lot of inclusion. Um, and it's really a space where folks are just having a good time. We're just like down to celebrate the fact that we're still alive, we're still here, regardless of what what the world or what major groups of people who don't want us to exist say, we're, we're here to have a good time. That leads me right to our next question is, unfortunately, there is still a great deal of homophobia in the world. And something that someone actually pretty close to me said, not that long ago, is they said, if straight people don't have straight pride, then why do gay people get to have gay pride? And I would love to hear your answer on the importance of pride. Absolutely. I definitely want to answer this question. And before I do, I realized I didn't answer your question about non-binary and cisgender. So let me do that really quickly. And then I can certainly jump into this next question. So for folks who don't know, cisgender is a term that we use um, to really define someone who um, their sex assigned at birth, usually related to our external genitalia, either the penis or the vagina or vulva or whatnot that a person holds, then we're assigned male or female at birth. Um, And if a person is a cisgender man or cisgender woman, it just means that you are assigned something at birth and you continue to live your life that way. Um, So if you're assigned male at birth, you're living your life as a man, you feel real good about being that, you're a cisgender man. If you're assigned female at birth, you love your womanness, you celebrate that, that's who you are, then you're a cisgender woman. Um, And cisgender is indicating that there's that kind of synopsis or like equal sign between that sex assigned at birth and the gender that you're living and performing. And then for trans people, um, 
it would indicate that that sex assigned at birth differs from the gender that they're living. And for non-binary people, that can be an umbrella term that really includes any and all genders that aren't exclusively in that man-woman or male-female category. And so everyone's definition of what their non-binary identity is certainly going to be as expansive as the number of people on the globe. Um, But it's really just indicating that gender is not just two things. Even when we think about sex, it's not just two things because intersex people exist and intersex people can have um, both uh, genital parts or they may have ovaries and a penis. Um, just the way that their chromosomes were mixed up, that they're born in a way of having both traditionally male and traditionally female um, reproductive organs. Um, so even scientifically, when we say there's only two, that's even false. That's a lie that we were force fed. Um, there's a vast array of how people exist. Um, so you asked about pride. And when it comes to pride, we have to think about like oppression. Um, And so when someone is oppressed, it means that there are privileges that they just don't get to have on a basis of a specific identity. And we're talking about gay pride. Um, It's indicating that queer people, the LGBTQIPA2S plus community has historically not had equal or equitable rights. Those rights are constantly on the chopping block. They're constantly up for debate. Can you be in the military? Can you not? Can you get married? Can you not? Can you have children or adopt or can you not? And because that identity is always on the chopping block or always in question, it indicates that it's a group of people who are oppressed. And when we have pride events, which folks can have related to any oppressed identity, in my opinion, um, it's really indicating that regardless of what mass society or normative culture says we're still here um, and we're not going anywhere Mm -hmm. and so I think straight people are entitled to have pride in their sexuality too and if they want to have a parade go for (laughs) it but I also think it's important to recognize that the parades and the history around pride is one that's really just illuminating the historical underpinnings of centuries of oppression that our community has experienced across the globe and continues to experience. In many countries, people are murdered um, just simply by thinking that they're queer. They may not have even been queer at all. Someone may have just accused them of looking at them some way, and they can just be killed on the spot. Um, The fact that that is true is why pride needs to exist. Um, So if you're straight, if you're cisgender, and you want to celebrate yourself, go out and celebrate yourself. We all deserve to be celebrated. Um, Being a human, living through this pandemic, we certainly all have things to celebrate. And at the same time, it's important to understand what pride is about. And so that might mean learning. It might mean reading a book. It might mean learning about the history of our community and why why we're doing this, where it comes from. And truly, I stand I stand on the shoulders of Black trans women and women of trans women of color who constantly are really like our fighters. They have really pushed queer rights forward throughout the centuries and constantly still to this day are murdered in the U.S. at higher numbers than any other group of people. Mm -hmm. Um, So the fact that that's still happening indicates that we still need this. We still need these events to indicate that we're here. We're not going anywhere. Um, And for so many people, they say, oh, you know, these words were never around in my day. These people didn't exist when I was younger. We've always existed. We're just more visible um, because we're tired of hiding and we're not going to do that anymore. Oh, beautiful answer. Very, very well said. And you mentioned so many good things. I know my, my mother 
she said not long ago, why is everyone gay now? And I was just like, we've always been here. It's just there. Thankfully, we have it still exists, the prejudice and whatnot, but we are able to now be in a place in the United States where we can express that hopefully and there not be consequences as severely as in other parts of the world or historically. Yeah. Also, you did mention privilege and I would love to talk about what straight privilege looks like. And with that, um, you know, the term toxic masculinity, uh, something that I've observed in a lot of cisgender males that I know is that the biggest insult they could give one another is being called gay. And my ex, uh, female partner, she used to call herself, uh, and this might be triggering for some people, but she used to call herself a fag because she liked that word and she identified with it. However, the attitude and the tone of it used in non, uh, people that are binary or cisgender tends to take on a different weight and more of an insulting attitude. So can you kind of uh, talk more about the um, internalized inferiority, superiority and straight privilege? Absolutely. You know, um, I also find that that term to be quite activating too. the term fag or Mm. even stronger as like a content warning or trigger warning for our listeners like faggot Mm -hmm. um that word in particular is so hard to hear um and really even in this moment somatically my body is responding to it and recognizing like all of the harmful things that people have said and done to me over the years (laughs) and what happens and like folks who reclaim these terms like queer or fag for themselves is that we're able to start kind of lessening the blow, lessening the blow of those words, the toll that they've had on us. And so for anyone who wants to reclaim those terms, absolutely go for it. Um, Because in that regard, we have less terms for folks to weaponize against us. It's ones that we can reclaim and say, this doesn't hurt me anymore. Um, And when it comes to the privileges that straight people or cisgender people have, is it's the comfort of holding hands with your partner in public and not being worried that anyone will say anything or that any harm will come to you. It's not being asked about your sexuality or your gender or asked extra questions to justify that. It comes with access to safe sex practices and sexual health. Um, our, our, sex ed edu- our sex ed in the US is very terrible and very slim, but what little information, but what little information that was provided when I was in high school 10 years ago um, was just about straight sex. It was just about sex between a cisgender man and a cisgender woman. And even like condom usage was just, how do you put a condom on a man? How do you put a condom on his penis? Um, There was never a conversation about female condoms or condoms for people who have vulvas and vaginas. I remember the first time I saw one, I was like, I have no idea what this is. I don't know how it's used um, because that wasn't included in my education. Um, Straight privilege, cisgender privilege shows up in going into stores and finding clothes that fit your body or clothes that affirm your sense of self uh, without any kind of extra efforts. Um, It can show up in the way that religion and government accepts who you are and allows you to have access to benefits, the benefits of marriage, health benefits, tax benefits. Um, It can show up in the way that we're rewarded um, for performing these um, identities through the institutions of marriage or having children. Um, Not that queer people can't, though they go through a lot of other hoops with respect to IVF or um, surrogacy or adoption and all of that's incredibly expensive. So perhaps instead of buying a house, they're saving up 
for basically a down payment to have a child. Um, it's n- straight privilege is not being afraid to leave your house and just be you for queer people, for trans people, for gender expansive people. When I leave my home wearing heels and a dress and a romper and makeup, I'm not sure if I'm going to walk and get to the subway without someone saying something nasty or throwing something at me or threatening violence. It doesn't happen often, luckily, here in New York City, though it does happen at other locations and certainly in the city, too, to a really crappy, (laughs) crappily high degree. Um, but those are some of the ways that straight privilege or cisgender privilege shows up where people can just really be themselves without feeling like they're being questioned or that they need to justify who they are. Mm, wow, I have chills. <laughs> Such a powerful, powerful perspective. Absolutely. What do you mean by gender expansive? For me, I love the term gender expansive because I feel like it just includes anyone Mm -hmm. and all of their genders um, and the ways that they differ from what's expected. Um, So I would include any woman who cuts her hair short, um, who doesn't wear makeup, who doesn't shave, um, as gender expansive in my book. Uh, Maybe they don't. Um, anyone who performs gender in a way that's different than what we were expected to do. And my book is gender expansive. I think it's like a term that we can all sort of claim in a way. Um, and that's why I like it. Um, because truly when I, when almost everybody I've met, um, almost nobody is like textbook 100% straight or 100% um, performing their gender the way that we were supposed to do it. Um, in that case, I'm just kind of welcoming them into the gray area, welcoming in them into a space to just be themselves and not care so much. Yes. Oh, I hate shaving so much, so I just don't do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Can you also explain the difference between gender and sex? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. So sex is something that is assigned to us at birth. It's just that like M or F identity that we're put on our birth certificates. And it's usually related to um, our external genitalia. Um, If a person has a penis or if they have a vagina or a vulva, and that's usually what sex is in the sense of like biological or assigned sex at birth. Gender is a social construct that is really about how one performs um, the behaviors that we associate with the words male or female. So mm-hmm. gender is, in my conceptualizations really the performance of who you are with respect to the vast realm of masculinity and femininity um and so for many folks they fluidly move between the two like myself some folks really like to be on one side of the spectrum or the other um and that's really how i kind of distinguish the two um and of course, sex is an act too, uh, an act between two or more people, or even with oneself when we're talking about masturbation. And I do think it's also important for folks to understand that sexual orientation um, and sexuality are also two unique categories of a person's identity. Sexuality being our capacity for sexual feelings um, and our sense of self as a sexual being. Everyone has a sexuality and it's not necessarily about who you're attracted to, but what you like. Like if you like to be tied up or if you like to be edged or if you like to be rimmed or if you like to um, engage in any sort of sexual practices, that's all a part of our sexuality. The things that we like or don't like. And then sexual orientation is more about like who we're attracted to, um, like who we want to have sex with or who we don't want to have sex with. Very interesting. 
Thank you for mentioning that. I really wanted to talk about alternative relationships, but I have so many other questions. So I'm going to have to have you back on if you're open to it, because I am loving this. Um, this is really, really fun. I did want to bring up uh, the importance, in your opinion, of pronouns, because we hear so much controversy, particularly when it comes to they, them, that people say, mm -hmm. how could you singularly use they if it's not a he or a she. So what is the importance of using pronouns and respecting people's pronouns? Definitely. Pronouns are incredibly important and pronouns don't always indicate a person's gender. Yeah. Um, so a lot of folks think if someone's using a they pronoun that they're automatically non-binary and that's not true. Cis people um, are using they and he or they and she interchangeably and not identifying as non-binary um pronouns pronouns are pretty simple um pronouns just act in a sentence in place of our name um and so when in doubt use a person's name <laughs> so if yes. you're using my name nix and saying it a million times that's a safer thing than just assuming that we know what a person's set of pronouns are. And there is no harm in asking and asking again and again and again, mm -hmm. because for many folks, identities aren't static. Um, they change, they grow as we get to know more things about ourselves, as we get to know more about who we are, what we want, what we like, those identities can shift, they can pivot. And as a result, our pronouns can shift and pivot too. Um, I used they, them, there exclusively for about six or seven years. And then when I started learning about neo-pronouns, which is just new, new pronouns, um, I was like, wow, here's the set of words fey fair and fair that sounds really mystical it sounds magical and i've always felt like there's been this magical part of my identity um and i really leaned into that and in choosing the name nix for myself nyx um it it's a reference to a greek goddess of night um who has this very, very incredible history. I encourage folks to look up Nick's uh, Greek goddess. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, wow, I have these set of favorite fair pronouns. I have this name that's kind of mythical and magical. And it was really just something that was very euphoric and affirming for me. But pronouns are incredibly important, especially for youth and teens, because when we don't use people's pronouns, we're basically saying, I don't see you, you don't exist, and you shouldn't be here. And so when we use pronouns for people that they have requested we use for them, we're engaged in suicide prevention mm -hmm. because we are saying, I see you, I value you, you should be alive, I want you to be alive. And for teens and youth, when we use pronouns or names that they've asked that we don't use or are no longer affirming for them, we're kind of pushing them off the edge, sort of saying, maybe you shouldn't be here. The world would be better if you weren't creating these challenges for us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it is challenging because all of us were socialized to think there's only this pronoun and that pronoun, he or she, that's it. But actually, what's really funny, um, sort of as just like a little history aside, um, the pronouns they, them, and their have existed for about 300 years longer than the pronoun you, your, and yours. Um, so um, they, them, and their used to be used in a singular context back in like, I want to say the 1700s. I might be wrong. We could fact check it. Um, but sometime around that, that time, if you look back at like past literature, probably from like Shakespearean age, you'll see they, them, and their used in a singular sense. It always has been. People have been doing this my whole life. When you say, was anyone sitting here? And you say, no, they just left. Mm -hmm. um, we're not mm -hmm. saying multiple people left. We just don't remember who was sitting there. 
how they identified. So we've used it in sentences our whole lives. But it will take work, it will take practice to start to incorporate neo sets of pronouns and just think in a different way. It doesn't mean that we can't do it. It just means that we have to practice just like we would an instrument that we want to get good at or anything else. Mm -hmm. um, it just takes some practice. Um, and that's sort of my thoughts about pronouns. Ooh, thanks for sharing. Yeah, it's kind of similar to if someone has a dog, for example. I always like to use this example. You say, what's their name? Like, it's, I feel like it's just about being open-minded and you don't have to be perfect at it and you might slip up, but it's about be validating people and just being understanding and open-minded to people's preferences. And we just all need a little bit more compassion for other other humans I think <laughs> absolutely you can't go wrong with compassion and simply just saying I'm sorry when you make a mistake I mean nobody expects you to get it right all the time I certainly don't expect people to get it right because I wouldn't want them to expect me to be perfect I mean mm -hmm. perfection's um unachievable oh, sorry for our listeners who are looking for it I'm, <laughs> I'm doing my perfectionism and it is not achievable and it's too much pressure to put on yourself mm -hmm. instead like welcome these mistakes as opportunities to grow and learn and connect more with other people. Yeah, for sure. I remember I was an intern at Planned Parenthood several years ago, and I was working with an individual. Their name was Lauren, and I was referring to a coworker of ours, and I said, oh my gosh, is she okay? I automatically assumed their pronouns, and I was mortified when Lauren was like, they are okay. And, and, you know, I think that was a really great way to correct me rather than uh, making me feel more embarrassed and humiliated is holding people accountable in a kind way. And I, I caught myself and I apologized. And I think it's just about taking personal responsibility for when we do mess up and knowing that it's okay to not be perfect, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. We were trained to make assumptions and also our brains activate and work in that way to make life easier for ourselves <laughs> and so it will take some extra effort on our part to start reworking those neural pathways in new ways amen so next i wanted to talk to you about so many different things we didn't even get to mental health but my last question here for you today is how can people whether you identify as queer or not, be more affirming of the LGBTQIPA2S plus community? Really great question. When it comes to being affirming, I think it just comes with just being compassionate, caring, and curious. Um, no one in the community expects you to know it all. Um, many of us in the community also don't know it all. Yeah. I certainly don't. Um, new words, new identities are constantly evolving. And so you're going to learn new things and it's going to be actually a really exciting like journey to embark on. And when it comes to like being an ally or showing up as an ally, it's important to, to do so in a way that isn't centering oneself, um, but instead really amplifying and uplifting whatever community where hoping to be an ally too and it does also require work um, it requires effort it requires showing up and so that could be having a book club reading a book learning more about the history doing a fun workbook or worksheet and also I think it's important for people who are straight who are cisgender to also give themselves an opportunity to explore what those words mean for them, um, where they came from, how they came to know that that was in fact the case for them. I think so often, um, or at least in my experience as a clinician, many straight people and many cisgender people feel like they, they can't have access to sexuality, to gender, that it's not theirs because it belongs to another community. We all have a gender. We all have a sexuality, and so it belongs to all of us. And why not take a couple moments to know yourself more robustly? Know what you like, know what you don't like, 
try on a different pair of shoes or <laughs> clothes that maybe you've never tried on before and see how it feels. If you try on the dress and you hate the dress, no one needs to see you wearing it and you never need to wear it again. But isn't it better to try something and know for certain than to just like think you know and never give it a shot? Um, I think <laughs> I think it's more exciting that way and more fun and more vivacious and more lively and playful. Um, so, so I think those are some of my thoughts there. Preach. Yes. I love it. I love exploring, asking questions and just playing. There's, there's nothing wrong with giving it a try. Definitely. So next, where can people find you if they want to connect with you or check out your work? Absolutely. So for our listeners, I am in the process of going to be changing my name legally to Nick's Melody, um, but you can still find me with my legal name, um, mm -hmm. which luckily for me isn't dysphoric in a way. It doesn't actually like make me feel awful to say it aloud, um, and I'm privileged in that regard. I just came to this realization that it's never felt like mine, um, and I wanted to create a name that really speaks to who I am. So for our listeners, you can find me um, on Facebook or Instagram at Nicholas, N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dot Moran, M-O-R-A-N, dot lmhc that stands for licensed mental health counselor and you can find me on instagram or facebook at those handles and also my website is nicholas moran lmhc.com if you want to put the www dot you can <laughs> you don't have to um and that's a way that you can get connected with me if you're curious have questions i always have resources resources to send people's way to uh explore these things in more depth and more detail awesome are you accepting new clients at this time I have a couple spots um, for some new psychotherapy clients. I also have two incredible interns who are completing their master's degrees in counseling. Truly, they're older than me. They're exceptionally <laughs> gifted for, men, for both of them, like career changes. Um, and they're gender expansive and queer themselves. So we really are a gender expansive and queer yeah. practice serving our community directly. Um, and they are definitely definitely accepting more clients than I am, um, but I am. And for the right person, I'm definitely available. Hooray. And I will include all those links in the show notes. Next, it was honestly, this was so fun. I knew we were going to go over because I just have so many questions and I feel like this is really going to inform and open a lot of people's eyes and as well as be very validating and affirming. So it was truly, truly a privilege to have you on today. I really appreciate your time. Well, I feel so grateful for this conversation with you. And as you said, I'm happy to come back and yeah. talk about some of the things we didn't touch on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you are enjoying the Sex Positive Podcast and your support does mean the world to me. If you are enjoying the show, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. You can follow me at Sex Positive Podcast or Lauren M. Coletti on Instagram, as well as share this podcast with a friend. It would mean everything to me. Thanks for listening.